0: To worship this morning it comes from Galatians chapter 3 <clears throat> starting in verse 24 Paul talking about the function of the law and our identity in Christ now that faith has come Paul writes and he says therefore the laws become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith but now that faith has come we are no longer under a tutor for You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, what a blessing it is to live this side of the cross. That our chief identity is no longer Conformity to an external law that we would be most sure, assuredly tempted to boast in, to say, see here, I've done good enough to wear the banner of your child. No faith has come. We're no longer under that tutor. Our identity is in Christ. That is what we boast in. And just as our identity is in Christ, Father, we've clothed ourselves with Christ to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've called us. So, Father, as we meet this Sunday, we praise you, we sing songs to you, we open your word, we ask you to speak to us. Would you be pleased to meet with us here this morning and stir us on to good works that would glorify your name? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: And he became sin Who knew no sin We might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing, love so amazing. Jesus Messiah. The name above all names. Blessed Redeemer. Emmanuel. The rescue for sinners. The ransom from heaven. Jesus Messiah. Lord of all. His body the bread, his blood the wine, broken and poured out all for love. The whole earth trembles, and the veil was torn. Love so amazing. so amazing. Jesus, Messiah, the name above all names. Blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sin. From heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord, of all. and all our hope is in you, and all our hope is in you, and all the Messiah, the name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel. Messiah Lord of all Jesus Messiah Lord of all
2: So in Hebrews three the author writes these words he says, therefore, holy brothers You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God." Now Moses was faithful in all things or in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So Christ always deserves the greater glory.
3: So. because
1: confess bowing here I find my rest and without you
3: in me is where you it.
1: you're my hope and stay.
3: And when I cannot stand, i fall on
1: you. And Jesus, you're my
2: Stand together for the last one, please.
1: And do you feel? Is he worthy, is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory?
3: Is he worthy of this? He is.
1: Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit room among us?
3: He does.
1: And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He us?
3: He, he does. Does our God
1: intend to dwell again? From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom, a priest to God, to reign with the Son. Is He worth?
3: Easy word.
2: that now lord and i pray that it can be confessed with the utmost sincerity right now or we may not have lived like you were worthy yesterday and lord god forbid we don't live like you're worthy tomorrow but right now let us live with full intentions with hearts full recognizing that you are worthy Lord, as we sing these things we offer these things to you the best we know how in spirit and in truth we ask that you would accept them we ask that you would be praised and that it would matter to you what we're offering you and that you might be pleased in jesus name amen um have a seat let me do this real quick i'm going to introduce matt brock before he comes up i've asked if he would come up and share a brief testimony about some of the things that are happening out at the uh, abortion clinic uh matt amy and his family are new to haven ridge Um, But I thought this would be a great way to uh, to introduce him to you all, uh, because his his full time responsibility outside of family, being a husband, all that stuff is now uh, he is at the abortion clinic every day, just about. And uh, and, and his heart, his passion, his family's shared heart and passion is that they would be out there not just as sign holders but as uh, gospel faithful witnesses, those who are giving testimony and testifying of the goodness of the grace of the gospel of Jesus. So Matt's out there. If you don't follow him on Facebook, you should. You can see a lot of stuff that he posts um but I've asked Matt if he would come up. They had an exciting day yesterday and I just want him to share about some of his vision, some of his heart, some of the ministry he's involved in, and then you can see just a quick snapshot of some of the things that happened yesterday.
4: First off, let me say wow. Um, um I'm falling more and more in love um with this church. Um God has done some, come on Matt, God has done some um, amazing things over the last couple of years. Um, I despised and rejected um, the doctrines of grace about two years ago. Um, God's shown so much mercy and grace and patience with me in that. Um, So even in my theology, God has just been so good to me over the last few years. And through that, it's totally revolutionized uh, my worldview, how I, how I live life, um, what I do with my time, and it's amazing how through God's providence and His sovereignty, He began to put things in place even a couple of years ago, and, um, God laid it on my heart about a year ago, um, to get into the fight of abortion. I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, I didn't even know where the abortion clinics were in South Carolina, um, but I just said, all right, well, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I've seen about four or five Jeff Durbin videos, so, um, I'm good. So I grabbed my Bible, and I took off one Saturday, and, um, Oh, man, it was so cool. Um, Aaron, I don't know. Where you at? I don't know if it was Aaron and Antoine. Jake may have been out there. Jamie, I think, was out there. Um, I had no idea that there were going to be other people out there. Um, and I met these guys, and um, God just began to do some amazing things and um, opened up the door and began to, to lead us here. And so we're just, my family is so honored to be a part of a body that, that puts such a high premium on the gospel. Um, that's not that 's not normal, um, especially in this part I don't know if, I know a lot of you guys came from uh, Mississippi and, and other places, but uh, we grew up in South Carolina, and uh, I can tell you uh, being in the Bible belt, um, the gospel is not high on the priority list um, a lot of times, and if it is it's a false gospel and so to uh, to be a part of a local body um, that may be relatively small in number um, but is mighty in God's grace and and, and um, obedience to, to go so wow, we are just so. Um, Just honored to be here, and and Alan, thank you so much for just giving me a minute to to share. I know a lot of you guys, some of you know me, some of you don't, and um, I just wanted to share a little bit of my heart um, because I do feel like I represent Haven Ridge um, when I go out there, Um, and I I want you guys to know that I'm aligned with you uh, both in mission uh, and in method. Um, I think that's important um, that we're all on the same page and that you guys are affirming what I'm doing as I bear the name of Haven Ridge um, out there. So, um, I have a tendency to chase rabbits. So I found about a year ago that um, it's very awesome inventions like the iPad that can help keep me focused. Uh, So uh, real quickly, I just want to say thank you to Haven Ridge Church uh, for several reasons, uh, one of which is for loving our family, uh, my family right back there in the back, uh, the way that you have. Um, We're still getting to know people, and uh, I know many of you um, from Haven Ridge still haven't made it back physically yet, um, but most of you have made – those of you who we have – had the opportunity to speak with have made us feel very much at home. Um, so we're very grateful for that. Just last week, uh, or just this past week, Pastor Allen uh, invited me over for coffee uh, first thing in the morning. Um, I was heading to the abortion mill, and he, he said, hey, just swing by and let me, uh, let me make some of his uh, famous pour over coffee. Uh, it wasn't for about an hour, but it was certainly enough to encourage me, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Uh, Wednesday morning around 6.30, I got a text from Pastor uh, Austin uh, just letting me know that he was praying for me, and uh, he even fed me some scripture. Um, so thank you for that. You, you have no idea what that, what that did for me that day. Um, we're even connecting um, with our MC group. Uh, we're in Jamie's uh, group. Uh, met with him last week and certainly enjoyed uh, the fellowship there, and I certainly uh, appreciate the camaraderie out at the abortion mill. Um, so thank you for taking us in, loving us, but more so for loving God and his word uh, enough not just to come to church, Uh, but to be the church. Um, One thing I learned very quickly about Haven Ridge, even before I realized God was moving us here, uh, was that um, this body of believers, like I said a while ago, puts a very high premium on the gospel. And so for that, we're very grateful. Uh, So really quick, uh, just wanted to share three points on uh, what we do at the abortion mill. Some of that uh, you are very familiar with, but again, I just want to make sure that you guys hear it come out of my mouth that I'm certainly aligned with you. Um, We go to share the gospel Uh, We go to save babies, and ultimately we go for the glory of God. Um, And I think they've got some pictures you can see there as well. We'll 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 talk to those real quick. Uh, Those three things can be taken uh, very easily as cliches, Uh, so I want to quickly just unpack those uh, so that we have a clear picture of what these things mean in application. Uh, So first we go to share the gospel. Uh, So whether a woman is thinking of pregnancy, uh, is in pregnancy, Uh, is thinking about terminating her pregnancy or has already terminated her pregnancy, Uh, I believe that she needs to hear the gospel. Um, If they're considering having a baby, they need to be reminded of who they are, uh, who God is, and why they exist. They need to be sure that the beautiful decision to bring a child into this world is rooted in the scriptures and the mission of taking the good news to the ends of the earth. If they are currently carrying a baby in their womb, they need the gospel they need to be reminded that through the uh, aches and pains and struggles of carrying another human inside of their body, that Christ has allowed us the wonderful privilege to bear these things in his name for his glory, and as Jeremiah five says, even in the womb, that baby know, is known by God. If they're considering abortion, they need the gospel. They need to hear that there is a way that seems right to men, but leads to destruction. They need to hear that there is hope, And there is help in the name of Jesus, and that as a just and righteous judge, he has commanded them to sacrifice for their child, not have their child sacrificed for them. If they've had an abortion, they need the gospel. They need to hear that all men have fallen short of the glory of God. They need to know that no one seeks after God, and that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone alone. And that no matter what they have done, they can be forgiven if they will repent and turn to Christ, but only if they will repent and turn to Christ. So no matter the situation, the answer is always, always, always the gospel. And that isn't just for moms. Just in the last three days, there have been two men that God allowed Antoine and I, Antoine yesterday and a gentleman I got to speak with Friday, who believed that there was a God but for the first time out of our mouths heard that Jesus was God. And I find it absolutely amazing that God used Antoine just yesterday to con- convince a pro-abort to go home and read the entire book of Romans. And I got to exchange numbers with the other gentleman on Friday, and I'm currently in the process of sending him some Bodie Bauckham sermons. <clears throat> so the gospel is sufficient. Secondly, we go to save babies. Proverbs 24, tells us to... Rescue those who are being unjustly led away to death, and to hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. 3,000 image bearers of God are being murdered every day in this country, and for far too long the church has been silent. Personally, I believe that this is because we have allowed ourselves to become numb and desensitized into believing that a child outside of the womb is more valuable than a child inside the womb. And I remember the first time I heard that, um, it angered me. Because I didn't want to accept that as the truth. But I also remember the the example that was given, and it quickly made me realize that that was indeed the truth. And the question was asked, would you still maintain the same passive attitude that you have towards abortion if it were six-month-old babies being murdered by the thousands every day? Or would you act differently? If your answer is in the affirmative... You've been brainwashed just as I was. Dr. John MacArthur says that abortion is our national sin. God calls it murder. So as followers of the living God, so should we. And we should act accordingly. Lastly, we go to bring glory to God through our obedience. A lot of professing Christians think that there is no way in the world that a handful of weird-looking people like Jake and Aaron, (laughs) could be used by God to end abortion. That it is absolutely foolish to think that by going out there and preaching the gospel that we can actually end the American Holocaust. Especially when the government and the many giant pro-life organizations can't do it. And my response to them would be this. To military leaders, it must have seemed foolish to think that God's people could defeat Jericho simply by walking around the city. To doctors, it must have seemed foolish to think that a snake bite could be healed by looking at a stick in the sand. To defense professionals, it must have seemed foolish to think that one iron pan could serve as an iron wall, Ezekiel 4. To the war-hardened veterans, it must have seemed foolish that a little boy with a slingshot could take down Goliath. And to the eye doctor, it must have seemed foolish to think that a blind man could receive his sight simply by taking a dip in the pool of Salam. The power of God was never released through creativity of men. It was released by them just doing what he told them to do. The stories of God using the foolish things to confound the wise are plentiful. The question is, Why? Why did God use such insane and seemingly pointless methods to bring about the healing and the restoration of his people? The answer is so simple, but yet we miss it so often. He did this so that those who have eyes to see and ears to hear the gospel will know that even though it seems foolish to the world to think that the gospel is sufficient to bring life to the dead, they will believe. We don't need new evangelism strategies. We don't need creative techniques to try and draw the masses. All we need to do is get back to the Bible, be willing to be foolish to the world by believing that the gospel is enough. The method is clearly laid out in Scripture in Mark sixteen fifteen: Go preach the gospel to every creature. So it's not a matter of methodology as much as it is a matter of obedience. God doesn't need proud warriors to end the murder of children. He desires faithful chickens. Men who know that they have nothing in themselves to offer to this fight, but faith and obedience in the one true God. The Bible tells us that Jesus is reigning and ruling in heaven and on earth and will do so until all enemies are placed under his feet. And we certainly believe that abortion is his enemy, and it will be placed under his feet. So um, Aaron, Antoine, all you guys, man, thank you all so much for what you're doing. Thank you for allowing me to fight with you. Yesterday was fun. Uh, <laughs> as you guys can see in some of the pictures, um, that right there was the very last picture that we took for the day. Uh, God's people held the hill down. They, uh, the pro-aborts were sitting there yelling at us to go home the whole time, and uh, they're the ones that went home, so we were stubborn. And uh Lashandra, girl. Whew. They uh they had it in for Lashandra yesterday. They uh I don't know if they actually found her on social media, but they were trying to find pictures of her kids and really doing all they could to get to her and uh she she exemplified Christ so well in her patience. Don't look at that picture. (laughs) Uh if that's as bad as it got, she deserves a little bit of grace. Um but uh for those of you that, that do follow us on Facebook, you could you could hear Antoine and Aaron and myself just continuing to remind each other, stay with the gospel. Um, I'm glad Jeremy put deodorant on that day. Uh, if you can see in the bottom corner, um, I thought it was a boy, not my fault. Uh, it turns out that is a little girl. Um, she couldn't have been 10 maybe. Um. And in this moment right here, um, her and her sister, I believe, sat under Antoine preaching the gospel for probably 15 or 20 minutes. So we took every advantage that we could of that. We have no idea what seeds were planted. um, But Antoine was certainly loving in that moment. This sister right here, Sister Cheryl, uh, I fell in love with this lady yesterday. Uh, She started speaking in tongues and stuff. We kind of let that slide. But, uh... (laughs) She, uh, i tell you what, she held up the word of God the whole time that she was out there, and and, um, it was such a a blessing to serve with her yesterday. And there's Antoine hiding behind the Black Lives Matter flag that um, the Pearl Borts were uh, flaunting around even though they were oppressing uh, (laughs) my black brother. Uh, This gentleman right here, I think this was a huge reason why we were out there yesterday. I believe that God opened up, my goodness, Antoine, what, an hour and a half maybe? conversation this is the gentleman that uh was going to go home and read uh romans one so or the whole book of romans i believe he said so well, we're certainly praising god for that as well so um anyway thank you for your uh, just a, a couple moments to speak uh um, alan thank you brother and um uh let's pray real quick for alan and um we'll hear from god's word father you are good lord you are so holy and lord as we just sang you are worthy You are the only one that is worthy. God, we are so, so grateful, Father, for you coming and making a way. Lord, we don't deserve you. Lord, we certainly couldn't earn you. And Lord, it is by your grace and your grace alone that we can stand here and sing your praises. Confident, Lord, that we are justified by faith alone in the finished and completed work of your son, Jesus. Lord, I'm so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful for Pastor Allen and Pastor Austin. Lord, you have truly, truly blessed this church with godly people. Lord, I pray that everything that we say, think, and do will bring glory and honor to your name and your name alone. Lord, I pray that you'll bless Pastor Allen as he comes and opens up your word. Lord, I pray that we will not hear the mere words of a man, but Lord, we will hear from you. Um, God, I pray that we will be attentive Lord that your word will penetrate the darkest parts of our heart. Lord that Lord we will decrease that you will increase and Father that we will bear your name rightly in a world that so desperately needs you. You are worthy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: If you will turn very quickly to the book of John chapter 15, we'll look at a few verses there and a few verses breaking into chapter 16. I'm going to do you all a favor. Uh, You all can pray that I would have the gift of conciseness today. I normally do not have that. I'm going to punch, go on my timer, and uh, I will commit, give me 30 minutes. Normally, I'm 40, 45, give me 30 minutes to get through what I have to say, okay? Because I've had two weeks to process this information, and I'm going to give it to you in 30 minutes, so... Listen fast, the timer has begun. So John chapter 15, starting in verse 26, begins this way. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Remember, they are still in the upper room. That is the same context for three chapters now. He's already talked to them about the Holy Spirit. He's already talked to them about him leaving, but he's revisiting this again, but he adds a little something to it. He says, I have said all these things to you, verse 16, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they do not know the Father. Nor me, but I have said these things to you that when their hour has come, you may remember that I, that I s- told them to you I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me where are you going but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart nevertheless, I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for I do not go away if i do not go away the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you and he when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe concerning righteousness because i go to the father and you will see me so i want you to understand this he's going to give them the helper here's the scene they're about to be left alone in a sense In the sense that Jesus is leaving. But Jesus is not leaving them alone. Jesus is going to give them the helper. And this is important. Because up until this point, Jesus has received the full weight of persecution. Everything that's been said that's nasty. Every insult that's been hurled. Every volatile act that has been produced has been produced on and towards Jesus and not his disciples. So what Jesus is doing for them, you need to understand this, he's equipping his army for battle. Though they might be few, he is equipping them for battle nonetheless because he says, I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send you the helper because if you didn't have that help when the persecution comes, guess what would happen? You would fall away. Now that is a little misleading I don't like necessarily that the ESV translators translated that into falling away because it makes it seem like oh they'll lose salvation the actual interpretation is they would stumble so if you wanna understand it this way for clarity that unless the helper comes to you you will stumble why would they stumble because when persecution sets in That's where the rubber really meets the road for the Christian. And in order for us to stand, and in order for us to persevere, in order for us to keep from stumbling or falling away, we have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. So here's my objective. To show one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit is distinguishing religiosity from righteousness. That's my objective today. To show that one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit is, is distinguishing religiosity from genuine imputed righteousness. And you'll see where I get that in just a minute. So I've shared with you the context. So there's three things that I want to go over with you. I want to talk on the giving of the helper, I want to talk on the giving, uh, I'm sorry, on the giving of the helper, on the nature of man and on the inevitability and the reality of persecution. I asked Matt to share today because I thought it was incredibly relevant What I saw in these live feeds yesterday, seeing people hurl insults, flip the middle finger, use vulgarities, and all of these hostile type of acts and and words against them. You see, you see the, the, the reality of persecution. You see this firsthand. You know, maybe you and I don't see it like that, but when you start to take up arms against the enemy, that is what happens, that is what happens, and we get to see it firsthand. So here we go. On the helper, or on the giving of the helper, in the Scripture, again, you see, again, starting in verse, starting in verse, um, I lost my lost my place here. Yeah, sorry, starting in verse uh, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness about me. So understand this. In this small section, Jesus starts to reveal a little bit more with regard to the role of the helper. The helper first, the Holy Spirit, is going to bear witness. He's going to testify about Christ. All right, I want to catch you up to speed just a little bit. Recall back just a chapter or two ago, and we'll both therein. Jesus is telling them what the Spirit of God's going to do. He's going to produce fruit in their life. Jesus has talked about the vine. He's talked about the branches. He's talked about what it means if you don't produce fruit. You're cut off. You're cast away. You're thrown into the fire, assuming that you're not in Christ at all. He's saying, if you love me, you do what? You keep my commandments. What is commandment keeping? That is fruit bearing. How do we bear fruits? Through the Spirit of God, indwelling us. So all of this is starting to come full circle now. They're starting to see these things. And then Jesus starts teaching us that the world is going to hate you. Why is the world going to hate you? Because you are bearing testimony of the reality of God in Christ or or, or Christ as the God man. And the world hates it because the spirit of God is going to do what? He's going to convict the world of sin, judgment, judgment. And righteousness. So naturally they're going to hate this. So this is what the helper comes to do. He's going to bear witness. He's going to testify on the reality of Jesus Christ. The helper will convict the world again. Concerning sin because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Is there any wonder why the world will hate you? I mean, if God sends his spirit to indwell every believer and the byproduct of that is commandment keeping and the byproduct of that is standing in the face of the enemy, it's only natural that they would come at us. It's only natural that there would be a volatile uh, response to those things. So it shouldn't come as a surprise. Let me ask you this. As believers, do you like it when someone points out failures or flaws in your life? Do you like that? If I come to you as your pastor, though I have every right, as you have every right in my life, as a brother or sister in Christ, to say, hey, this action is not in step or in keeping with your profession or with your claim. In accordance with what the Bible says, you should be as a believer. And if you shake your fist at me, your issue is with God. Your issue is with the standard that has been set forth by a perfect God. Right? You don't like it, though. It's hard to hear that kind of stuff. Now, hopefully, if you're in Christ, you receive a rebuke, you receive an admonition, and you respond rightly. But the Bible says whoever does not receive a rebuke is a fool, specifically if you're a Christian. So naturally, the world hates it because that's what the Holy Spirit comes to do, testify through you to the world of sin, judgment, righteousness. Essentially, the Holy Spirit holds up a mirror exposing the world to its own ugliness, and they are in such darkness they can't comprehend it. They just know it's vile, and they're angry. And they respond the way that they do. The Helper will convict the world. The Helper comes to help you. The Helper keeps us from stumbling or falling away. Again, this is not news because Jesus has already said, What? He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do what, church? Nothing. He's made it clear that there's no one who seeks good, there's no one righteous, not even one, so it's no surprise to us that without the helper, we stumble. Good gracious, I have the Holy Spirit, I stumble all the time. Can I imagine what it would be like if God didn't send the helper, especially when persecution comes? So clearly the assumption here is that without the Holy Spirit, you will stumble. You will fall away. You see, Jesus is giving them a helper. Jesus is giving us a helper because we need the help. This is, this is what you have working against you, and this is what I have working against me. We have a world that hates us. A world that hates Jesus and subsequently hates us. We have a sin nature that is prone to wonder. We're prone to fear. We're prone to appeasement of the flesh. We're prone to self-interest, self-value. So yeah, you need a helper. I need a helper so that we don't stumble. Because our natural broken tendency is to the things of the world. So we need the helper. And then Jesus continues. He says, I'm gonna send you the helper the Spirit of God's going to bear witness. You also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The world's going to help. The world's going to hate you. Consequently, the world's going to hate you. You're going to bear witness. You've seen these things. Now you're going to testify of these things, and so you better believe what they're going to do is they're going to hate you, and their hatred is going to manifest itself in a number of ways. Jesus continues in verse one of chapter sixteen. He said, "I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away." I've said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming. Whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. You need the helper because your tendency is that you would fall away. So man with Christ is a man that is prone to wonder, prone to falling, prone to self-value, self-interest. But here Jesus starts to describe the man without Christ. And he starts to show them in terms of persecution what they're up against. Jesus begins to pull back the curtain and say, look, you have no idea what I've endured and what I will endure, but you will. You will know this because it's on its way. And Jesus starts to describe these things. It's a world of men who hates the things of God, and so they will naturally hate you. Why? Because the Spirit's going to bear testimony in your life. He's going to bear witness of the reality that the gospel has in your life, and they're going to hate it because they're dead. They're going to seek to push you out. They're going to seek to subdue you, to repress you, to suppress you, and suppress truth because they hate it, because it's light and darkness hates the light. They're going to hate those things. And Jesus describes a little bit more. He says, they ultimately will seek to kill you, and they'll do it in the name of their God. Now, what's happening here with regards to a pulling back of the curtain is, 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 is is a vantage point into the depravity of man. You understand Jesus has given us a vantage point into the depravity of man. That the gospel will be put forward and their response would be not just to kick, you out na- to kick you out of the nation, but to kill you, to stop you from living. So a man without Christ can easily be a religious man. I want you to hear that. A man without Christ, this man, this worst form of man can easily be a religious man. Man, this is the very person that Jesus is talking about. These religious leaders, these religious officials, they are the ones with the authority to kick them out of the synagogue. And he's going to say, these people claiming service to God are the ones that are going to kick you out of the synagogue. But not only that, these are the ones claiming service followers of God, followers trusters of Yahweh, religious religious people, they are the ones that are going to say they're doing these things in the name of their God. So any man can be religious. Especially a man, well, a man without Christ. But this is the worst form of man. He is a man that promotes religiosity with no righteousness. Those whom Jesus warns will cast the disciples out of the synagogue and kill them in the name of God were religious men. Listen to this. There's a few things I've written here that I want to communicate clearly. So just bear with me. The criteria that takes any religious man from vain tradition and superficial conviction to meaningful, authentic, fruit-bearing ministry is only the righteousness of Christ. Do you understand that? Didn't get enough heads nodding, so I'm going to read it again. The criteria that takes any religious man from vain tradition and superficial conviction, that's the category that a man is in. The only thing that separates or takes that man from that place, that marking, to authentic fruit-bearing ministry is the righteousness of Jesus. And it's important that we make this distinction, church. It's Vitally important that we make this distinction So for a moment, let me Help you to see what I think the Holy Spirit is doing or what his role is and that's to make the distinction between religiosity and righteousness So religion is often nothing more than your traditions convictionless principles bandwagon believism and superstition for many that is religion it's coattail theology there's no real passion there's no real conviction there's no subscribing holistically to this doctrine as as faith it's this is what they believe or this is a majority thing this will get me in the least trouble this, this ideology helps is most palatable for me because there's less trouble or less problems. Maybe I'll become a Muslim because of the promise of all the virgins that I'll have in the next life. You know, it's, it's a buffet. It's picking and choosing what's gonna be the best. That's your bandwagon believism. That's your religiosity, which is often nothing more than those things. Traditions, convictionless principles, bandwagon believism, and superstitions. Whereas righteousness righteousness is something that's not natural to you. Righteous is not something that you're born with. It's not something that you, you know, arrive to the scene with. Righteousness is something that has to be imputed to you. It's something that's earned, not by you, that's given to you. You are a passive agent. Jesus is the active agent, the only one who's worthy, as we sang a moment ago, to say, I will give you my righteousness. And the mechanics of that works is this. When you receive the righteousness of Christ, which happens because of the justification of Christ, which happens because of the the, the foreordained plan and predetermined plan according to the counsel of God's will plan, these things come to pass. And it absolutely follows that you would receive the indwelling of the Spirit. Therefore, you can keep commandments. And when you keep these commandments, you bear witness. You give testimony of Jesus. And then the world corresponds how? Hatred. That's righteousness. But those who persecute are often religious people. Look, nothing's changed. You want want a brief history of persecution? Starting here in the first century. These are people that say, hey, we're religious. We are for Yahweh. We are for God. And what do they do? They kill Christ's disciples. You move a little forward into history and you see Roman persecution, a polytheistic society, can't stand a monotheistic religion. And so they start to kill Christians because of their monotheism along with other things throwing them in cathedrals, co- throwing them in coliseums as spectacles for worshiping the one true God. They hated him. Not too long after that, during the Middle Ages, you have the Catholic Inquisition where the Catholics determined for themselves that they have the right to extinguish all life that holds to anything that's outside of Catholic doctrine or dogma. Justification by faith alone, things of this nature. In the name of what? God. Religion, is that not what the Jews did here in the first century? Is that not what the polytheistic Romans did shortly thereafter? It's the same thing. Paul himself was religious as a persecutor of the church. He puts out his resume for the church of Philippi, and he says what? He says, as to zeal, I'm a persecutor of the church. That's a religious man without the righteousness of Jesus. Islamic extremist. Do so in the name of God and religion, all the horrible things that they do. 9-11, in the name of God, in the name of religion. But a pure hatred, a pure hatred for the things of God and the things that testify or bear witness of Jesus Christ. You see, religion without righteousness explains how someone can end up as an abortion doctor claiming unity with God while his are the hands that shed innocent blood. Religion without righteousness explains how someone can claim to be in Christ while exhibiting no evidence to support his or her profession. This is why this line of distinction matters, by the way. Religiosity is how the religious leaders could believe they were honoring God while they killed his disciples. I think we have to ask ourselves, do we practice spiritual disciplines because I'm religious or because the righteousness of Christ has made me new with an appetite for God's glory as opposed to an appetite for self-glory? Your religiosity may get you through those doors on Sunday, but it will not help you when the enemy sets his sights on you. It requires more than your routine. More than your traditionalism, more than your superficial principles, maybe not you, but the understood you, right? Listen, your capricious convictions your convictions or my convictions or whoever's convictions that are here today gone tomorrow will only get you as far as the momentary appearance of righteousness but if that's all you have your religiosity will win the day and you will not stand in the face of adversity and these are the type of people that are the sworn enemies of the disciples are the sworn enemies of jesus these are those that hate jesus and jesus knows because he's endured it already and is about to endure it to the fullest extent that the disciples are about to go and endure the same kind of persecution and he's telling them you need the helper and i'm going to give him to you because otherwise you can't stand He says to them, you need the helper, and only those who have the righteousness of Jesus have the helper. He says, if you're just religious, it won't do it for you. If you tout your religiosity, it will do you no good. It will do you no good because there's nothing real or of substance that will make you stand. You're a straw man that's easily blown away, that may at first look to be strong. So as I transition to the last point, I want you to hear this statement. I'm just going to read it because I I don't know how to paraphrase it any better. The imputed righteousness of Jesus, ensuring the indwelling presence and help of the Holy Spirit, is what provides the surety that you will persevere when the persecution occurs. Because persecution is here. Here. Listen to what Jesus says. He said, I've said these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Persecution form number one. And when you read that, and maybe when I read that or did read that, you think, "Oh, that's not horrible. (laughs) Who wants to be in the synagogue with them lunatics anyway? Don't minimize the expense here, the cost. To be kicked out of the synagogue is to lose your nationality. Your family ostracizes you. You are an outcast. You are a derelict member of society that's no longer even accepted in society. You are garbage. You are trash. So this is a big deal because, because here's how we often deal with this. I've been a part of church discipline, not discipline myself, but, but I've been a part of that process, and it's ugly, especially if the person doesn't repent. It's ugly, but I remember two times going through discipline in my ministry career so far where the people did not repent, and this is what happened. They did a thing. They were confronted because we love them, and the response was, we'll just go somewhere else. And unfortunately, the response by... Church sometimes is, well, we'll just let them go somewhere else and let it be someone else's problem. And in this situation, they went somewhere else, both of them. Well, we'll just pack up our toys and go play somewhere else. So they do that. Well, we feel like our responsibility is to notify the churches that they landed in to say, here's what we deal with. They're not a member in good standing. Here's the offense. So we're trying to protect the church. Both accounts. The church swept it under the rug and said, it's okay. I'm thinking, what in the world? But that's, that's, that's what we think of, to be cast out of the synagogue. If we have this idea of, well, I'll just go somewhere else, no problem. You and I can't recognize, we can't, we can't identify with this level of persecution. Because if you're kicked out of Haven Ridge, maybe your <laughs> first response, I know that's hard to say and weird to think about, but let's just say, if excommunication happens... You can pretty much say, I'll go through any church doors I want, and they will receive you with open arms, even if they know. Now, I'm making a generalization because I haven't talked to these people. I know that. And that's what it is, a generalization, because 100% of what I've been through, that's been the case. So don't minimize what this kind of persecution looks like. This is a big deal for them to be cast out of the synagogue. And Jesus says to them, that's, that's just one thing that will happen. And he starts to go into another. Not only will they cast you out, not only will you be ostracized, will you be stripped of your rights, not only will all these things happen, all because, all because the world hates you, it hates Jesus, all because that you and the Spirit of God are bearing witness of Christ, all because of these things, in the name of God, they don't just cast you out of the synagogue, but they also seek to kill you. They seek to kill you. Listen, if you don't remember... That's the cutest thing ever. If you don't remember from John chapter 12, the religious leaders, it said they believed, but what? But they would not say it because they feared men. It said they loved the glory of men more than the glory of God. What were they so afraid of? Being cast out of the synagogue. This was a big deal. But now Jesus says they will... Not just cast you out. That will not satisfy them. That will not quench the thirst of a world that has a bloodlust for the people of God. They will try to kill you. They will kill you. Listen, this is the outworking of the hatred the world has for Jesus. And it's manifested in casting out and ultimately manifested in murder. Are we so far removed from that same kind of ideology today? No. (laughs) Not at all. Listen, our job, Austin and I, our job as pastors, or any pastor, is to equip the saints for the work of service, right? A part of that equipping is to offer warnings, provide practical biblical counsel, and to rightly divide the word of God. So when I talk about religiosity versus righteousness, it's not because I have an axe to grind with anybody here, but I have a responsibility to challenge you to say, Check yourself, as I have to check myself. Check your motives. Weigh those things. This text is not given so that we can reminisce on the boldness of the disciples or say, well, I'm glad somebody held the torch so that we can get off scot-free. It's not so that we can look back and be thankful that we don't have to go through what the disciples had to go through. It's not for that reason, right? Jesus is not equipping the disciples here For it to only have relevance 2,000 years ago. This is a portion of the narrative that just happened to happen 2,000 years ago. And we fall in line in this narrative 2,000 years later. The implications and applications and the imperative is still there for us. This text is the universal application of getting God's army ready for war. So my question is, as we kind of move into some application to close, is how will we measure up? How will we measure up when persecution becomes to us more than stories that sell books? What happens when you become the character in the story? If you have not already. If you have, like Lysandra and Antoine... And Aaron and Matt and Jake and Jamie and whoever else has been out there. And I know every, uh, other people have faced different forms of persecution. But as I'm thinking immediately about being at the abortion meal. I mean you're seeing pictures. We didn't show video because it was so vile <laughs> what these women were saying. And whereas I think it's important for children in here to understand how dark this world is. Maybe they can't fully comprehend that. So for that reason we didn't show it. But you need to understand it was a no holds barred. We don't care about you. We wipe our rear ends with the Bible, is what this lady was saying. And she didn't use the word rear end. And that's hatred. That's hatred for the world. See, I think we have to be careful of making this fatal mistake. And the mistake is this. Considering this text to be 2,000 years of separation rather than 2,000 years of fulfilled promises. For 2000 years, don't you understand that since that time since persecution started it has not stopped Maybe you haven't seen it. Maybe I haven't experienced at these levels, but it is always happening How do I know that to be true? Well history tells me that B, the enemy is still at large He hasn't changed. He still hates jesus I understand that the spirit of god is still bearing testimony is still giving witness you and I are still giving witness That has not changed So the pattern, the routine has not changed. So I can guarantee you, this is not a generalization, I can guarantee you that these things have happened for 2,000 years. We cannot afford to disconnect or remove ourselves from the reality that the scripture says those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2,000 years ago, Jesus sat with them because the baton is about to be passed and he says, you're about to endure these things and you need help. And you need help, Mark. And you need help, Tiffany. And you need help, Jeremy. And we all need help. Because we're prone to wander. We're prone to self-interest. We're prone to conceit. We're prone to falling. And we need the helper to help us. We tend to look back at the story, seeing it as a past moment to reflect upon, as opposed to being a part of our ongoing narrative. Listen, we don't look at 9-11 that way, do we? We don't look at 9-11 and say, well, I'm glad that's over. Terrorism has ended. no. We've equipped ourselves even more because we expect that it's continuing. We don't look at today's abortion rate, 57 million babies aborted since 1973, which is 2,900 babies per day, 137 per hour, 2.3 babies every minute are murdered. We don't look at 1973, Roe v. Wade, and say, well, glad that's over. We don't have to worry about that anymore. So why would we look at at John 16 verses 1 through 4 when Jesus gives them this warning and say I'm glad they dealt with it so we didn't have to No, there's something to be said and that it's the role of the Holy Spirit to convict but there's something to be said about the church and I don't mean this gathering I mean the, I mean the, the the universal body of Christ there's something to be said about the church that finishes their life and says I've never really seen persecution personally Persecution is here, and there's no question about that. These horrible things are the continual and inevitable outworking of a broken world that hates Christ. That has not changed. It is here. And at any point in time, light and darkness are intersecting. And I want to finish with this illustration slash encouragement. You know, Jesus says, I will send the Helper. We understand that for all who are in Christ, when we're in Christ, he indwells us. The Holy Spirit does his job, and he does it well. And a part of that is helping us, fighting, you know, doing the things that he needs to do, bringing truth to our remembrance so that we can use that as our weapon. And the world will hate us as a result of these things. And I saw something yesterday with Lysandra that was so impressive. And I'm not trying to embarrass her. At least she can hide behind a mask, right? literally. Um, <laughs> but I'm watching the video in Lysandra, who is timid, shy, you know, quiet, meek, right? Sweet, sweet lady. But I saw something come out of Lysandra in this video yesterday, and I'm like, I am fearful for myself, if I ever upset her, and for <laughs> these poor, small, little, weak ladies that are daring to get in her face. I mean you saw the the still of it right what you didn't see was the fire in her eyes you didn't see that all right you didn't see those things gianni don't make your mother mad girl it is a bad bad deal for you and i looked at that and i thought what has gotten into lissandra this is a lion who has shown up this is not a kitty cat what is going on i'm like who's where's antoine antoine's Talking to some, some other guy, Lysandra's just there. Now, Matt's behind there, you know, probably ready to save the other woman from Lysandra. I'm like, what is this? And then it hits me. I mean, I'm thinking on this test for two, text for two weeks, and then the Lord just shows me, hey, that's the helper. That's what the Spirit of God does. So some in this room, you feel like you lack boldness, and guess what? You might, and that's okay. That's okay that you didn't come out of the womb with jagged teeth and with big paws and with a mane and you roar at everything you see you know that's okay because the role of the spirit of god is that he will be the helper to you and in this context jesus says i want you to know i've told you these things for this reason so that you don't fall away so that you don't stumble i wanted you to know that i'm not leaving you alone i want you to know that i'm sending the helper and that's what he's going to do for all time but let me challenge you with this thought as i close sometimes that might mean that you don't realize the helper is helping until you're actually engaged in the activity that you need help in so if you're like me sometimes and you want the helper to come and kind of ramp you up and get you ready to dog it out it sometimes doesn't happen like that sometimes it's not until I'm in that moment and I'm fearful I'm timid I'm scared my pride kicks in what if I can't win the argument all these things start happening as I'm engaging people and then I'm in it and then this boldness but here's the beauty of the power of the Holy Spirit as the helper as opposed to your theological acumen, as opposed to your uh, education as opposed to your experience As the Spirit of God God himself equal in the triune Godhead comes with his passion, with his love, with his care, with his concern, with his patience, with his knowledge, and with his power, and starts working through you. And the beauty of that statement is that means that I don't have to rely on myself at all. I am a vessel. Listen, that car is not gonna drive itself unless something powers it, unless something as an active agent works through it. That is what the Holy Spirit of God will do for you when you get into it, because that's the promise. So I hope that's encouraging to you. I hope it encourages you that when that moment comes, when you're giving witness of Christ and persecution comes in whatever form, you have the helper. You may not sense it before, but in the moment, or maybe even after, you'll be able to look back and say, wow, wow, the Holy Spirit actually moved in me. There were things going don't think of it as, oh, this person started floating or I started floating or I sprouted some wings or some crazy thing happened. Think of it as, if it were not for the Holy Spirit, I would not engage this person. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, I would not care about this person. And The very fact that you show up to the, to the table with any kind of concern is already the blessing and the beauty of the Holy Spirit helping you where otherwise you would fall away or you would stumble so be encouraged as i have been super encouraged by watching the the mighty lion or i should say lioness Lysandra, or watching anybody else that was on there or the times i've been there and i've seen people or have seen some of you in other contexts being bold being faithful and watching firsthand the helper do what the helper does let's pray and we'll be dismissed lord we offer you thanks for the helper and his role holy spirit we say to you thank you holy spirit it's no surprise why (coughs) excuse me why you would be called the helper of all the names assigned to god almighty helper makes so much sense to me lord i'm a child i'm weak i'm selfish no strength of my own. I have no righteousness of my own. I have no goodness to bring on my own. I have no power to convince anybody or to affect change in their life on my own. But you do. Holy Spirit, thank you for helping me. Thank you for helping my brothers and sisters. We pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be emboldened, that this would have been an enlightening, helpful time for us, maybe even a rejuvenating time for us, that we might proceed from this moment being faithful witnesses so that the world can see testimony being born out in our life of the reality of the goodness of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.